one of those phrases that is chanted actually in our, one of our chants is that all the Buddhas have realized their awakening through seeing the world in the world as it is. And this uh, expression, yatabhutam jnana dasanam, that is thoroughly, knowingly revealing that which has become, that which has come into being. This uh, kind of rather abstract, enigmatic phrase uh, means everything. <laughs> uh, and so the average person will experience the, um, uh, what they're experiencing is themselves and the world around them. Mm. Yeah. And the world around them can, of course, be rather varied. It could be other people, it could be their job. It's a changing experience, what that actually is. So in direct experience, what is our world? Mm. You know, it, can, it changes, doesn't it? It could be our family, our working relationships, our sense of belonging to the planet, our preoccupations with history or biology or philosophy. And it's extremely complex and variable. And there's a self, oneself, which again can be extremely complex. You mean your body or your mind? What do you mean by mind? Thoughts? Memories, perceptions, hopes, aspirations, worries, impulses, energies, moods. There's a lot there, isn't there? So actually seeing that really we don't have two fundamental opposing or separate qualities. We have a whole mesh of qualities. And these qualities interact. constantly interacting, we're affected by our world. Our world is affected by our emotions and thoughts. Our impulse is what we put into our job, our relationships, our situation. Whether we get angry about it, depressed by it, enjoying it, um, a sense of compassion towards it. So we enter that it also enters us, it touches us. It touches our, our responsive, affective sense, our chitta. Yeah. It stirs, it arouses, it delights, it annoys, it confuses. It's felt. Mm. And so we really see that actually in the world of direct experience, there's no final separation between what we might call an external reality and internal reality. They are co-arising and co-creating and co-dependent. This is a very uh, fundamental principle. Itapachieta is that conditioning. And it's, it's uh, profound because um, you know, it's also when we contemplate you know, the realm of mental consciousness, then there's also memories, um, attitudes, so all these qualities that are arising, which are no longer located in space. The time and space begin to be very subjective. When you say, where do you live? 
you know, well, my house, my country, my village, my planet, very changeable. Walk out the door, where are you now? Close your eyes, where are you now? The location is very subjective and fleeting and temporary. Time, what time is it? Clocks, well, how reliable is that? Um, is there any moment which is not affected by what we call the past? Mm. We may think that, but when you begin to be more direct and clear about your experience, you realize that even what we call fairly obvious level of experience, I see things, uh, I see phenomena, I see people, I see things, that seems to be a, a pretty objective fact, but actually it's not quite true. What is experienced is I experience my seeing of things. I don't see things, I experience my seeing of things, which is probably different from your seeing of things, probably very different from a dog's seeing of things. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so my seeing of things is conditioned by perceptions, attitudes, what I've learned, what I've understood, where I'm interested, where I'm disappointed, blind spots and so forth. And even more profoundly, what I estimate things to be, think about things, how I value and judge things, can flicker from one day to the next dependent on both past conditioning and constant factors which are adjusting where I'm coming from. I'm depressed, the world looks like a depressing place. Feeling happy, suddenly the flowers are blooming, I notice that. What I notice tends to confirm the way I'm noticing. And the way I'm noticing things tends to give an evident a reality to the things I'm noticing. So really we don't experience things, we experience our experience of things. And the experience of things is conditionally formed and that conditioning forming is changing. Dependent on past experiences, dependent on present input. So when we're trying to find guidelines through this amazing interactive cosmos <laughs> You know, as you see the way things actually arise, how people seem, uh, how we imagine we're being seen, how we see ourselves. You now, all these are conditionally arising, not truths, not final absolute realities of any kind. So, how do you get? How do you guide? through this realm. Yeah. Where's the guideline? Since we're looking at shadows and impressions and hit mirages and so on, how do you get any guidance in this? What is anything? And when you begin to understand that, the dependent arising of things, one thing has to be uh, definitely um, uh, seen through is the idea that we can know things. <laughs> so if we're not 
being guided by our knowing of things, we have to be, be guided by just how is it affecting me? And what kind of effect happens? And so then it becomes much more, we begin to release the idea of there being such a thing as an objective fixed reality. There's just a subjective changing reality. Mm-hmm. So there can't be any dogmatic clinging, any final, this is true. Uh, there can't be any of that. Therefore, we find there are certain fundamental uh, qualities or um, ways of spanning this cosmos which are effective in that they conducive to harmony. And that we can sense. Or, to put it another way, they conduce to the release from discord, stress, and dukkha. And that we can experience. And we experience it not as a thought, or as an idea, but as a feeling. Dukkha is a feeling. Stress is a feeling. Conflict is a feeling. Holding on feels tight. And you get more clear and more sensitive to the felt experience. Mm. So the felt experience is, um, comes under the general heading of Vedana, is the Pali word. And Vedana comes from the word Veda. Veda means knowledge, how you can know something. So you know something by feeling it, not by describing it, not by thinking it. You know it by feeling it. And therefore what you need to know comes down to which set of responses lead to suffering and stress and which set of responses leads out of suffering and stress. And that has to be not something we create a, a dogma about, but actually have to constantly tune into all the time. Where is it now? How is it happening now? So it requires a lot of careful attention. But naturally there are uh, guidelines. And so first, one that spans is cosmos ethics. Whatever it is, (laughs) you don't abuse it. You know what abusiveness means. You know what brutality means. You know what callousness means. These two unskillful purposes or intents to dominate, uh, abuse, abuse, control, and the intent to dismiss. Doesn't matter. I don't care. Nothing to do with me. Yeah. So these two intents, which are called wrong intents, you replace, begin to replace those with a sense of, you can feel the effect of that. The heart tightens, becomes harder, becomes closed, Uh, doesn't lead to something balanced. It leads to a place where we, there's a stressful relationship between the heart and what we're relating to. And we're pushing, fighting, dismissing, suppressing, 
not feeling it at all, a lack of sympathy, the withdrawal of empathy. So, of course, we can consider ethics in a very legalistic way. We do that. Now, society has thousands of rules and all of them being broken. And no matter what they do, there's always, every law is always subject to being broken and uh, become subject to lawyers. And so we lose personal say over ethics, becomes institutionalized and codified in order to, well, you know, maybe think, make things safe or secure or who knows. But it doesn't necessarily lead to personal full responsibility. Law mostly creates a system of fear of punishment. And that's rather sad, isn't it? That we have to be guided by the fear of punishment rather than the love of each other. And the love and the sensitivity towards other creatures. And the sense of recognizing certain actions leave me, leave my mind, my heart twisted, upset, fragmented, closed down. Does me no good, does you no good, abandon it, is the, is the theme. So, with that, we don't need to know what anything is, we just need to know how to relate to it. And that way of relationship becomes a key note key theme for how we're going to guide ourselves in. Because then you can abide in that sensitivity. It's no longer an objective principle, it's a subjective realm, domain, attitude you could say, which is always relational. So it does respect the fact that we're in a mutual cosmos of interdependency. It respects that. Uh, and within that, it allows that space where our hearts can feel free from these uh, effects of cruelty, abusiveness, dismissiveness, irresponsibility, which are cause distress for others and do us no good. Mm. This is a kind of entry, really. And, you know, the Buddha himself, in his awakening, and coming out of the experience of complete release and entering into a condition of reality, his entry into conditioned reality was marked by what's called anukampa, or sympathy. Of course, in the legend, we have this great overseer of the cosmos, spirit of the cosmos, descends and asks him to teach the Dhamma out of sympathy, out of empathy. And the Buddha, uh, coming into this sense of there being this conditioned cosmos, realizes that's what he has to do. So that, that movement is one of goodwill. And whatever he taught, whether he taught goodwill or taught kindness or taught compassion, 
specifically his whole life was motivated by that. The Tathagata teaches out of anukampa, out of sympathy, out of empathy, out of concern for the welfare of beings, um, for future generations, as well as this. So, so, so this, is a, this, is a, this is a world-spanning process, isn't it? So we encourage just to look into the, this quality of what's happening in the heart and what obscures that. And the great obscuration of it is um, sense contact. Doesn't mean we can't are oblivious to sense contact, but sense contact, uh, touching the chitta, there's this very fundamental response of, oh, that's out there. Which you might think, yes, it is out there. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but where's the response? And we recognise that we can mistake a rope for a snake, uh, a shadow for a bear. Uh, people are getting shot for being criminals who are just walking down the street. You realise sense contact is not that reliable, actually. And if you start to look into the marketplace and you see the things that advertise as wonderful, fantastic, juicy, tasty, profound, and you get the thing and it isn't. <laughs> right? So, yeah, it's there. It's not that there's nothing there, but what we're experiencing is not the thing, remember. It's our experience of the thing. And that, that can be, that gets adjusted by gratification. I want feel gratified by something. So it make me feel better. By the urge for security, by fear. That might kill me, that might be harmful, therefore shoot him. <laughs> you know, which is happening all the time, isn't it? Yeah. So this sense contact is has to be managed and moderated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the feeling that is born of sense contact yeah, the pleasure or the pain, difficulty has to be known, moderated. Yeah. Uh, but what moderates it is <laughs> the quality of the, the heart. So if we really establish the heart in principles of goodwill and uh, sensitivity, we begin to also recognize why these qualities get lost is because we get fear and we get craving, we get gratification and we get insecure. And as those impressions strike us, that we lose heart, something becomes compulsive, addictive, called clinging. It's a clinging reflex. Hold on to something. Uh, and we lose some of that inner poise that is the essence of the middle. We lose some of that sense of this is just an impression, remember. It's not a reality. It's an impression. And how is that impression properly managed? Feel of insecurity ripples in, 
how do you deal with that sense of uh, something extremely pleasant as possible to reach out to how do you deal with that do you have to just close down on it become completely sealed off no not in cultivation because in cultivation we begin to, to encourage through another quality which covers everything which is called samadhi the collectedness the, the quality of, of heart that we might have experienced in terms of ethical concern and goodwill can be consolidated now you know we think we might imagine heart is just a mood or an idea or a set of principles it's actually an energy there as you certainly notice when there's a strong emotional mood heart rises up a lot of heart energy rushes or sinks or agitates so emotions are not just feeling they're also energetic and that, that energetic quality can be stabilized, soothed, and steadied till it becomes exceptionally stable and doesn't easily jump up and doesn't easily withdraw because it's not actually based upon sense contact. It's based upon the uh, qualities of heart that are being experienced on a subtle level of body now we tend to imagine body is the physical thing we see with our eyes again I would challenge that what do you see and you recognize what you see of this body is certainly not what I'm experiencing <laughs> and we often just get photographs pictures turns this way, turns that way and he's got his hair, now he's shaved his head and he's wearing his clothes, he's smaller it's a very, it's a series of flickering impressions that are visual primarily and the body's not, not visual, it's, it's, it's tactile isn't it? and if you begin to, okay what's my body this is if you like fundamental mindfulness of body what is my body as a direct experience the visual thing disappears altogether you go into something that's felt and it's felt and it has certain uh, the, the way the areas of feeling are twofold you have what's called the external which is to do with tactile things that touch the skin could be heat, cold, uh, moisture, um, impingement, tactile, we forget that. More probably fundamental than that is the inner body or the sense of feeling quite heavy or bright, open, spacious, contracted, agitated, feel I'm all up in my head. Uh, We call this the energy body or the subtle body and this subtle body is uh, when you're doing breathing in and out breathing in and out meditation then you're, you're tuning into an energy form that affects this subtle body right? 
That's the principle of samadhi. You have this breathing form, breathing quality, which is the energy of subsiding, arising, and feeling the energy of breathing begins to, as you get into it, begins to be felt and suffuse the entire body. Uh, so it's a suffusive, not a physical thing. You might think it's just a matter of muscles and lungs and air, but actually when you're directly experiencing it, you don't directly experience muscles. You experience pressure. You don't directly experience air, you experience something flowing. And if you get right down to it, you experience different, different, most profoundly and most acutely, you experience changes of energy. Most simply, breathing in is always a brightening, rising, breathing out is uh, cooling, suffusing, dissolving. And it gets more and more refined as you get into it. Now that, that process begins to move through all the energy channels in the body. The body can feel extremely bright, light, comfortable, and at ease. And as the, with mindfulness, you're immersing your attention, your awareness in that, then the, the heart picks up those qualities and you get experience of piti, called rapture, comfort, ease. And then the sense contact world is like, where's that? What's that about? Mm. And you've got the source of, of steadiness and security that's actually more secure than the flickering mirages of sense contact. More reliable. Wherever you go, there you are. It's there for you. You don't have to buy it. And wherever you cultivate it, you can cultivate your own pleasure. And so then the sense appetites tend to fade because you've got a better deal going. And this kind of quality of, of uh, well-being has no detrimental effect on the environment. You don't have to take anything from anything else. It's just a bit of air. <laughs> Which you then put, put out again once you've finished breathing it. So, it's, <laughs> so there's, no, there's no greed. There's no competition. There's no barging to get more than this person or having to you know, push something away. There's all that conflict over sense, sense, sense contact disappears. So it's definitely for one's own welfare and for the welfare of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you begin to sort of add it up, like how, how secure is security on the sensory level? Well, we spend probably, I think most countries spend more money on defence than anything else. We're still not secure. <laughs> We've still got fear. It, it doesn't. Yeah. Not kind of dismissing the whole thing, but just that where does the fear and the, and the stop? Mm. Where is it not infecting our minds with aggression and? Well, certainly if one cultivates this experience, then 
You know life is transit, you're going to die, this body's going to die one day. Um, that cannot be avoided. Uh, but if you're mindful of it, you're more likely to take care of it. You don't mess it up with harmful substances, drink, drugs, you don't do reckless things. You're going to live in a pretty comfortable, careful condition. And right now, which is all that you have, the heart is not generating suffering and stress. And from this position, and with a mind of goodwill, you're not an ethical sensitivity. The sense of other people becomes more like, well, yeah, they they breathe. They've got hearts, they probably have concerns, and suddenly all those naming designations and differentiations and begin to seem very kind of irrelevant. Because whatever he, he is or she isn't, does that have to affect my goodwill? They, may have, they might not be able to receive it, but do I have to go into fear, paranoia, anxiety or aggression to deal with it? Because, okay, whatever they're at, my abiding, my vihara, is going to be in this domain. Therefore, you get a sense of the the wisdom which spans the cosmos. We know how to be. And we also recognize, as you cultivate... uh, you know, this process of heart, when the quality of the, the agitation born of sense contact, the agitation born of mental proliferation, an inherited, unresolved anxieties and fear and restlessness that are all here and now impinging, can be cleaned through meditation, through samadhi, through purification. And cultivating like that, then you begin to sense how the world of conditioned phenomena is more like a, a lattice. There's a thought and there's, there's a non-thought. There's a breath and there's the ending of the breath, open space. Everybody's got one. There's the ending of an inhalation, raising up, and there's this space, then breathing stopped. Yeah, so we can track the quality of feeling, breathing in, breathing out. You can track the energies, the qualities of feeling, how it affects the tissues, and then there's nothing to track. The mind, the measuring mind, has got nothing to measure. Then something comes in again. There's moments when we, you have, we are, want to do something, or I've got to get this done, you just check, 
ask yourself, how am I feeling now? That's not in any way sort of a repudiation, but just check. You get off that thought, and then something opens. Now, this is, these are not that far off possibilities, but we begin to sense almost like an empty um, you know, space or basis which is not conditioned by our attitudes, our hopes, our fears, our desires. It just opens, opens. The more that we manage our impressions with kindness, goodwill, sympathy, and the qualities of what the samadhi brings around, cooling, soothing, directly soothing the energies that get things tightened up, there's a sense of an opening. That opening is unconstructed. As the opening is not, there's nobody there. Our very sense of ourself, which is often a series of references to thoughts and moods, this self-referencing is no longer necessary. It never was that useful, but there's nothing to refer to. So the self-referencing nothing to refer to. Who am I? Who's that? Who's that? There's nobody there. So the Buddha said this is the way through the cosmos and in this very body with its consciousness, perceptions and feelings is the world, the arising of the world, the ceasing of the world and the way to the ceasing of the world. Until you have thoroughly immersed yourself in this home base of our feeling, sensing, embodied awareness, then according to the Buddha, you, you don't you cannot realize this openness. An openness that does not carry the sense of beginning, ending, birth or death. So this I call deathless. In this very body, you touch the deathless. Through knowing things actually as they are, in all their qualities, knowing how to relate and respond to them, is very simple but thorough and deeply integral uh, uh, relationships and energies and attitudes. Uh, and then there's that. There's no sort of pressure on that. It's just, you know, if you make these choices, and we're making, I don't know, a thousand choices a day probably, of what to do, what to say, whether to say nothing, say something, go this way, go that way, step back, pause, take a rest. We're making thousands of choices every day. Probably... Pretty much, I'm just, oh, I probably feel like, yeah, that seems good. Okay. Yeah, that's part of what we are extremely responsive creatures. Well, let's set the compass of response to yeah, ethics, goodwill, collectedness, attentiveness, 
steadying, make those choices primary, because those are the ones that are going to count in the long run. And then the other choices that we make around when we say something or don't say something, let that come from the most fundamental, important choice we make yeah. for our welfare, the welfare of others. And then, of course, so you know, you, we can generate a world. We do generate a world. We do generate some apparent person. If that's kind of what it's a, what's going to happen in this lifetime, let's take hold of it and make it suffused with Dhamma, with truth, with goodness, and with beauty. This is the possibility the Buddha's presenting. So, offer that reflection into consider if it's for your welfare. <laughs>